Hello, my name is Patricia Rozvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore their relation, interest and urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. Here I also wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. It's very rewarding to see that with every episode the community is growing, which was of course the whole point of this platform. If you are a regular listener, you might want to check out my Patreon page, where you can support my work and help me develop this amazing but time-consuming project. You can do that on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. Welcome back to the mini-series Grandma's Tales, where I speak to my grandmother Marianna about her very long life, about the Second World War and its aftermath. This episode will particularly focus on the time when my grandma was forced uh, to leave her home and uh, work for the German army and together with her co-workers dig um, trenches for the soldiers. For me personally, this episode also reveals how war and the circumstances of war do not uh, consider the needs and the safety of women or women identifying people. And I do believe that despite the fact that this is a historic episode, when we look at the world and observe all the armed conflicts happening right now, all those dynamics do persist. So keeping that in mind, let's now listen to my grandmother And once again, I wanted to give a trigger warning for very explicit and graphical descriptions of violence. The uprising broke out on the 1st of August and on that same day in the evening, we received a notice that we were to report in the morning and nothing else. I don't remember whether we were supposed to take something or nothing. Anyway, we all showed up at 6 the next morning. But who ordered you to be there? It was people from work, where we worked. There were only young girls working there, intelligent, after second school or in the middle of their second education. War interrupted our studies. School was closed for the entire six years. There was no education. Right away, on the 1st of September, they closed all the schools. In Warsaw, there was some primary schools open for a while, but then they closed everything. So I took my suitcase and packed some of the few things I had. I don't know if I had some money on me. Well, yeah, I had to have some money. And so we went. We showed up at six in the morning and straight away they gave us some working overalls. A blouse. The size didn't matter. Three, five sizes too big. And huge trousers. We had to roll them up. We also received clogs. Also three sizes too big. Later on, when we walked, these clocks hit the pavement and made so much noise. 
Everyone could hear you, huh? Yeah. We could be heard all over the city. So they put us in. They told us to go to the side tracks. It was so terribly high there because there was no platforms. And we thought, how will we even get into the train? My legs so short, my body so small. But there was this one tall colleague. And he stood up and said, Girls, please, put one leg here on his knee. And you need to jump the rest. And that's how we entered the carriage. <laughs> and so we drove, not even knowing where. They took us to Płock, by the Vistula River. And that's where we dug these trenches. And there was a guard who watched over us, a German, and someone else who assigned this job, because these trenches were built for a specific purpose, since the front was approaching. They drove us there and located in a barn, on straw, on bare straw. They spread the straw out like this, the barn was so huge, they ordered the peasants to empty it, and that was it. How many people were there at the very beginning? Well, 30 or so. And it wasn't just from our company, there were many others too. We slept on one side of the barn, in our clothes, in everything. On one side slept the women and on the other the men? Yes. Have you seen what a barn looks like from the inside? Well, there is a threshing floor in the middle and on both sides there are places for different activities like storing things, I don't know. And did you have breaks during the day? To eat, for example? So there was lunch, there was a field kitchen, a military kitchen, because they treated us as part of the army. And there we got these clothes and these clogs, I told you already. And every day, at six in the morning, we walked, with a spade on the shoulder. As we walked through the city, our clogs made noise. We made noise and continued walking. And we dug from morning till evening. There was lunch, yes. There was a kitchen. But the food was poor. They added something to the food, so all the girls stopped having their periods. None of them had it. And it was all done because of hygiene. You know, there was no hygiene. Where to wash yourself, where to do what. We washed ourselves under the well, in cold water. And there were no sanitary pads or other sanitary things either, right? There was nothing. Some cotton wool, lignin. You had to improvise. It's hard to describe. Now you can get ready products everywhere. You put it in, you throw it away. And back then, you had to invent things. Sometimes sew it yourself. So there we were. We dug the trenches, and since it was right by the Vistula River, there were quarries right next to it. The men had to pack with pickaxes, and we dug with shovels. We were there for about three months, and once we finished, they moved us between Kowo and Konin. 
because when the front was getting closer, they needed these trenches elsewhere. So we continued digging. And I stayed there until the end of January. But towards the end of the war, staff became suspicious to me. We had no news. We didn't know what was going on. But it was so relaxing, you know. They didn't watch over us so much anymore. It was January, I think. December. The end of 44, the beginning of 45. I felt a general relaxation in the air. <coughs> then suddenly I hear, war is over. So then we decided it's time to go home. But where, but how? I was together with a friend. You know, we all knew each other from work, from school. So I became close friends with one girl. Back then in the countryside, when we slept in the barn, it was so cold. When winter came, it was impossible to stand it. There was mice and God knows what, vermin. We rented a flat from a village woman. Well, it wasn't really a flat, just one single room, and everyone slept there together. The kitchen and everything was in one room. The husband wasn't there because he was also taken away somewhere for war. So she was there alone with her two children. After she took us in, she and the kids slept in one bed, and me and my friend in the other. In a small bed, I guess. Well, a normal bed. A normal, single bed. We slept together. And when it was all over, when we decided that the war is over, we had to go home. But how? It was freezing. It was January of 1945. There was a terrible frost. It was snowing. In the end, the farmer, the husband who left for war, but came back later, built us a tiny sled to drag our belongings. But they were wide like this bench. They only had two skids, so we could... Because you wouldn't be able to pull a carriage in that snow. So we loaded our suitcases and pulled them with a string. And you did it all on foot? On foot, of course. Well, as we walked, the night has fallen, because the days were short. We enter one hat, full. The next one, full, of Soviets. Russians. For them, it was the middle of the front. They were still going farther west. Because the war wasn't over yet. It was over on those territories. But the war was still going on. It only ended on May 9th. But for you it was already safe. For us, yes. Which was already free and Warsaw as well. Warsaw, of course, fully destroyed. So we continue walking with our sledges. We enter one hut and it's full of Soviet troops. They are all laying across the floor. 
And the woman of the house says, I'm sorry, but I don't have a place to put you. And I say, please, put us wherever you can. We can even squat by the door. Otherwise, we don't even know where to go. It's dark, we don't know the terrain, we don't know where to go and how to go. We have no strength, we are starving. Whether she fed us, I don't remember. Anyway, she said, if you want, you can lie down here, under the door, on the bare floor. And we took out some blanket. I don't remember if it was ours or she gave it to us. We laid down and slept. And the soldiers, they slept so deep, because they were tired after the front, those Russians. Did they harass you? Well, only later I found out what they were doing to girls in general. They raped them, impossible things. But what saved us was the fact that they were so tired. So later in the morning we got up and they got up too and drove off. Some of them even gave us a lift on the way. They had vodka and very fatty meat. The fat was dripping from their beards, you know, such salty meat. They even offered it to us. And so we walked. We hitchhiked, we walked a bit. In total, for about three or four days, over 200 kilometers. To which, right? Yes, to which. Oh, and before that, when we were still in the countryside, I looked in the direction of Wuch, and on the sky there was a terrible glow and massive explosions. That was the moment when Wuch was being bombed. You didn't know anything because there was no press, no radio. You were facing death penalty for owning a radio. God forbid a newspaper. And what did you see on your way back? On my way back, I only saw corpses and corpses, horse flesh, human flesh, mixed all together. People were walking, riding, this way, the other way, such confusion, disorder, there was nothing. So we say, let's just get over there where we can get a train. Because we knew there was a train in the town, in Kowa. But God, no, everything was overturned. So we walk farther. Maybe in Ozorkov we can get some transport. It's about 30 kilometers from which, maybe more, maybe 50. Well, now in Ozorkov there will be a city tram going. We discussed on our way. We approach Ozorkov and everything is destroyed there. Nothing. Everything was knocked over. Life has stopped. After all those days, we finally made it. We stayed overnight, here and there, and then we finally reached Łódź. Near which there was this old factory in Sowinskiego Street, and they made a prison out of it. There were people out there. So when I was coming back from the trenches, I found out that this prison was on fire. 
And indeed, you know what? It was a few days, three or four days before the total capitulation. And people didn't realize that they didn't recapture or something. I don't know how it happened. They forced everyone onto the third floor, poured a barrel of petrol underneath it, and set it on fire. Everyone died. There were still 3,000 prisoners there. And it was, I remember, coming back from the trenches. It wasn't far from my house, and I wanted to go and see it. But I thought to myself, no, I won't survive that, because I already saw so many horrible things on my way back. But in a few days, I did go there. It was so frosty back then. And it all laid there for two weeks straight. When I saw the pile of charred corpses, it is something so horrible that you never forget it in your life. Charred corpses just laying there on top of each other in a pile. And later, when the frost has passed, they had to clean everything up. There were still quite some Germans living in Łódź, these Volksdeutsch, who had lived there since birth. Because when the partitions took place, people migrated. After all, it didn't matter whether it was Germany or Poland, because it was all Germany. And there were a lot of these native Germans, so later they were forced to clean the prison from those corpses. It was decomposing, it stank terribly. So one of them took his life, even an acquaintance of ours. His name was Lange. My brother worked with him in one office during the war. Terrible things happen. War is something terrible. So they cleaned it up and uh, later made a museum out of it. If you're ever in Łódź, you can go there. It's where Zgierska Street crosses Sowinskiego Street. You can go and look around, see some remains, belongings of those prisoners, some small things. But you know, every crime has witnesses. And what happened there was told by two prisoners who survived. One of them hid inside a water tank and froze there. They had to rescue him because his body had already cooled down so much that they had to bring him back to life. But they saved him. And the other one was somewhere in the kitchen, hiding in a corner, because they were walking around with rifles and looking for those who were still hiding. But they didn't find those two. And later, those two survivors told everything that happened there. Well, it was terrible. There were so many different people imprisoned there for anything. If you carried a sack of potatoes, you could already land in prison. 
I was told by one officer who was in Oflak, Oflak was a prison for high-ranking military men. And he said that they had a radio there in the Oflak, a radio that the Germans never found, because it was unscrewed and everyone had a different part of it. Even if they found a screw in someone's pocket, they couldn't do anything. Good idea. Yes, and they were so skilled that they put it together in a matter of minutes, and they had a radio, and they listened to it. They were in touch with the world. And this was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this episode. I will see you next time with another great artist and speaker. And as mentioned at the beginning, you can support this podcast via Patreon on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. Or alternatively, you can also help me develop this platform by making a one-time donation, following my Instagram account, or leaving a comment on one of the podcast players. All of the needed links are placed in the show notes of this episode. Take good care. Until next time.